All right, Super Bowl week is here for the biggest prop betting menu of the year. What better guest than arguably the best prop better in the world? Here to set the stage for us, none other than pro better and good friend of the show, Hitman. You can find his content on Forward Progress and his picks with pregame.com. On the platform formerly known as Twitter, you can follow him at Hitman428. Hitman, you were here for week one to kick off the season on this show. I'm honored to bookend the season with one of my favorite people in the space. Welcome back to Props and Hops. Uh, you're, you're too generous with the intro, trust me. I'm just trying to, to grind out a living, Matt. Definitely not the best. But um, hey, I, I'm happy being on. Always always a pleasure. And um, hey, I'm excited to talk about this Super Bowl. And others who may be joining us live may be excited as well. To those of you live with us across Twitter and YouTube, thank you for joining us this evening. Feel free to jump in the chat with any questions or comments, and we'll be glad to work that into the show where possible. Hitman, to kick this off, I'd love to ask you about one thing you've noticed perhaps that's been different about this Super Bowl betting cycle compared to years past. Um, there's been less volume for me this year. Um, it's... It's just that the books, and this is a common theme throughout the year, like that they've just gotten a lot better at pricing stuff. Now, when I say less volume, that means that like this year, I have maybe 30-ish individual bets so far, five days before the game, whereas previous years, maybe it's like 50-ish at this point. So it's still, uh, there is still definitely opportunity, but a lot of books are used to pricing a lot of this stuff. Like a lot, like certain markets are just up every single week. And uh, now with DraftKings, FanDuel, all, all that, and they're used to pricing it. Stuff like longest touchdown, shortest touchdown. But where I'm trying to usually take advantage now is looking at markets that aren't priced every single week. One that I really like to attack is how many players will have a reception. You could bet that for the Chiefs. How many players on the Chiefs will have a reception? Over under seven and a half, 49ers, six and a half, 14 and a half total. You could do rush attempts. Um, you could do quarterbacks. How many, how many pass, how many players will have a pass attempt over under two and a half? There's markets like penalties, there's punter props, there's punt return props. There's a bunch of stuff that isn't priced weekly that I think you could still take advantage of. And the other thing that I think you could take advantage of is, and this really only applies to people that do collect a lot of outs, but there's books that some books that aren't putting up a bunch of stuff throughout the year. Like there's some smaller Vegas shops, like for example, they don't put up weekly player props or their menu is very small and they're now putting up a hundred, 200 props they're not typically accustomed to doing this every week, like a FanDuel DraftKings, and some of their lines could be a little bit softer. So there's still opportunity out there, but it, it has gotten harder. And then another reason it's gotten harder, just what has made props harder this year in the NFL is just how many eyes there are on it, but just not how many eyes, how many intelligent people are handicapping this stuff. And the lines get more sensitive to movement. Sometimes a line lines were out on Sunday night for the Super Bowl. Like the minutes after the conference championships, there was prop lines. So it's gotten a little bit more efficient as we've went on, but still opportunities. 
and before the conference championship games were even finished with the Niners and Lions wrapping things up in Santa Clara, full game point spreads and totals were hitting the boards as well. So we can touch on all of the above. Kelvin, I see your note in the chat about any halftime props that you may want Hitman to share. Let's put a pin in that for now. Hitman, I would love to touch on the game itself. San Francisco painted minus two over Kansas City, total 47 and a half. Last week on Forward Progress, you noted a lean toward Kansas City, and you broke things down well enough on that show. So I'm just going to ask if anything has changed your opinion on this matchup since then. No. Um, you know, it, it, there's a reason that you could bet infinity on the spread and the, the money line on this game because it's it's very hard to have a, a big edge. And But for me, Kansas City, I, I thought it was just a small edge in this game. So not not forcing it just because it's the Super Bowl. Listen, I don't need to force one bet when I'm probably going to have like 60 of them, you know. But I, I thought that Kansas City on the spreader money line was just a, a small edge worth betting. But no, no, no changes in thoughts since then. Understood. And on my end, if I had to bet this spread, I could only lean the Chiefs as well. A couple of factors I'd like to run by you and forgive me if you've already spoken to these publicly. But when it comes to something like current form, I think it's really interesting to explore what that could mean in this matchup. I'm not the one who's qualified to say exactly how much that matters. But we look at the Niners, an outstanding body of work this season as a whole. That said, obviously, they haven't looked nearly as good since that Christmas nightmare against the Ravens. The Chiefs surging after a sluggish start, so teams headed opposite directions. Maybe a bit of a free roll in play to the extent that this may matter. It seems like current form could only favor Kansas City. And then the notion of Mahomes getting points against Purdy. Maybe it's square. Maybe every other meaningful factor is already priced in, so this is what the number should be. But ultimately, if I were to bet this side, that's just too much for me to ignore. So Hitman, anything standing out to you in terms of current or recent form or the Mahomes versus Purdy dynamic? Yeah, I mean, you you kind of said it. You kind of described it best. It does sound a little bit square, just saying, "Oh, hey, we're Mahomes is a dog again." But I, I can see where you're coming from. And then with the current form, it really is a question on how much you weigh, like year to date. If you weigh year to date stats like a lot more than you're weighing the, the recency bias, then you're probably going to land on the 49ers in this game. But it does feel like this 49ers defense, for whatever reason, has regressed recently. It just hasn't been the playoffs where they've been allowing 50% of drives to reach the red zone or, or score, which is double the amount in the regular season. But it was even towards the end of the regular season against Baltimore and against uh, Arizona where the defense did start, start showing some leaks. So I think there's some concern with this 49ers defense and – I don't know how much, like, I think there's a little bit of concern still with, with Brock Purdy, especially in this moment, on how does he perform? I mean, it's going back to that Baltimore game. Like, he's played fine. Like, he's played like a solid quarterback, but he hasn't played at that MVP level that, that I was hoping he'd win MVP because I had some nice bets on it, but been kind of since that Baltimore game he's been good but not at like that MVP level so uh, yeah I, I could I could see the case for some of the recency uh recency favoring Kansas City all right so a very nuanced handicap when it comes to the full game one note from 
Dan Rivera in the chat while we're still on the game that we'll wrap this up with. Did the 49ers run into two really good O-lines? First off, Dan, thank you for joining us all season long during these live broadcasts. I know it was two shaky wins for the Niners at home in the playoffs hitman, but any thought on the O-lines they went up against and how that might change the dynamic with this Super Bowl matchup, especially if Joe Tooney not able to go on that interior of the KC O-line? Yeah, I mean, this is a highly paid defensive line for the 49ers as well. And you have to wonder, like, how good of a fit is Steve Wilkes as a defensive coordinator for San Francisco? Like, I know there was some rumblings about, like, Shanahan and Wilkes not seeing eye to eye, specifically after that Minnesota game, I remember. And, you know, with, with the San Francisco run defense, they were struggling late in the year and a lot of people were saying, well, it's because of Eric Armstead His on off splits has been why the run defense has struggled so much, but now he's been back the past two weeks. And I know Detroit, they probably have the second best offensive line in the NFL, but green Bay's offensive line is good, but they're not great by any stretch of the imagination, just an above average solid offensive line. So, I mean, I don't know. I I don't attribute it all just to to match up and everything. I think that it just flat out was concerning and that ultimately this 49ers defense might just be a slightly above average defense. Whereas earlier in the year, we were thinking that this was one of the three to five best defenses in the NFL. So we're talking small edges where there are any edges to be had full game spread in total. But Hitman, when we talk props, you broke down, I think, one of the best process driven tips for this betting cycle, focusing on props that haven't been getting posted all season long where the market may be more inefficient. And we'll get to some examples pretty shortly here when we get to picks. One more process driven angle I'd like to run your way. I think we touched on it last year just about this time as well. Player versus player props becoming more widely available as we get closer to kickoff. An example could be player X minus 18 and a half rushing yards versus player Y. And the opportunity here comes into play because Super Bowl player props tend to move in the blink of an eye based on news or service releases. And player versus player props are often slower to adjust. Thinking back to that Kansas City, San Francisco Super Bowl matchup four years ago, Patrick Mahomes rushing yards opened at 28 and a half. Jimmy G, the Niners quarterback at the time, he opened three and a half rushing yards. The logical line for Mahomes rush yards versus Jimmy G rushing yards, minus 24 and a half or minus 25 and a half. But what happened, Mahomes rush yards got steamed up to 35 and a half. And the Mahomes versus Jimmy G rush yards line stayed just about the same. So when we've got one player lined at 35 and a half, the other player lined at three and a half, we're talking a difference of 32 yards at this point. And the player versus player line is anchored to the opening line difference, basically 25 yards. It's tough to find bigger edges than that. And more recently, last year's Super Bowl, Hitman, you and I talked about Kadarius Tony versus Quez Watkins, I believe it was, receiving yards. A few days before the game, Tony's line was about 15 yards higher, but there was a Tony versus Watkins line at an established offshore, and it had Tony only laying 10 and a half yards. Ironically, of course, Watkins had more receiving yards in the Super Bowl last year. So take that as a cautionary tale on bankroll management here. Still, that's an edge that's tough to beat. So I'm wondering this time around if the potential opportunity in player versus player markets is something that you'll be monitoring closely as well in the days leading up to kickoff. Yeah, it's definitely something to monitor. Um, there's There's not many like at this point, there's not many like news related things that are going to change many lines. I mean, really the only question right now 
with uh, Kansas City was Will Jurek McKinnon play, which would affect Clyde Edwards Elaire the most, uh, in my opinion. Looks like he's not going to play. There's some stuff on it if Kadarius Tony's going to play or not, but it's at the point where it's probably just going to, if Tony does play, he just probably takes out Hardman, who doesn't even have a lines up right now. And if hard, if Tony doesn't play, then Hardman maybe gets one or two snaps or something like that. So there's not much news that's going to affect that. But yeah, it's a great way to look like if there's a big service release potentially on a certain player's receiving yards and he gets steamed up two, three yards and you're late to the party on it and you did want to get down on something correlated to that, then typically you're going to look for other markets are just going to move slower. Not only is there the head to head stuff, but this year there's first quarter lines for specific for receiving yards, pass yards, rush yards. There's first halves that are available. There, there's a ton of different ways to, to get at this stuff. So even if you do miss maybe a certain line gets priced out of your range, look for different markets that you can try to attack this stuff because there is a lot of markets that are, are correlated in the Super Bowl. And we've got a lot of live comments about various markets. I think I'll just try to compile a batch of these while we're having this conversation and get to them at the tail end of our prop pick segment that we can get into shortly here, Hitman. You talked about a lot of different markets, the uniquely broad attack surface for a Super Bowl prop better such as yourself. And not to peel back the curtain any more than you're comfortable doing at this stage, but is there anything actionable right now or that you're keeping a close eye on as you start to round out your own Super Bowl portfolio? And for which market was it? Any Super Bowl props that you find actionable or are monitoring especially closely right now. So it could be anything, player prop. Sure, we've got questions about halftime props, game props. Will the game okay. be tied again after 0-0 um, zero, zero at yeah. minus 120? I know you tend to do more in the realm of player props, but with this many offerings, uh, the floor is yours for any insight you care to share. Uh, I think that under 14 and a half players with a reception is worth a bet. Um, I laid in the minus 140-ish, and I went up to minus 180-ish on that, which is still out there, I know. Uh, it just comes down to both teams are – San Francisco has been a very uh, condensed target share, where it's been Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey – Debo Samuel and uh, George Kittle. There hasn't been many complimentary pass catchers that have stepped up this year for San Francisco. And they've actually went under this number. I believe it was definitely, I have it written down somewhere. It was more than half the games this year. And the games where it did go, where San Francisco went over six and a half was primarily games where Debo Samuel would get hurt or Brandon Ayuk got hurt or Christian McCaffrey got hurt. When they have their guys, it's a very condensed target share. So I think that San Francisco goes probably goes under their six and a half. And then the Kansas City lines at seven and a half. Kansas City is, has shortened their rotation a lot since earlier in the year. Like they were running in playing five or six wide receivers at once during one point in the year. And there was a point against the Bengals in week 17 where there were reports, you know, Kansas City, they're just going to end up just shortening the rotation. And they believe that that's going to help them. And they ended up tightening it a lot where it's just really four receiver, three, four receivers. They're getting the playing time. And that's ever since then, they ran the table and won all their games. So it's really probably not going to get much of a change from them. Uh, last game against Baltimore, 
out of 46 Mahomes dropbacks, uh, Scantling ran for all 46 routes. Rasheed Rice was 44. Justin Watson was in the mid-20s. The next leading guy was Richie James, who ran five routes. So we've seen both teams kind of shortening the rotation it recently. Especially San Francisco's always been shortened, and Kansas City's been shortening it recently. So I think that under 14 and a half pass catchers, plus on the Kansas City, and there was some talk maybe McKinnon would play. If McKinnon and Clyde edwards Lair got a few snaps or whatever, that would hurt our bet, but it appears that McKinnon's not going to play. Kadarius Tony appears he's probably not going to play, and the guy that plays for him anyway, McCole Hardman, got one snap last week. So probably not going to be a design touch for, for Hardman, I would guess, if he even gets a snap in the game. So I, I thought that under 14 and a half players to get a pass reception was worth a bet. And fortunately for those of us who I believe were with you on Hardman under one and a half receptions in the AFC title game, not even targeted, didn't really appear in the box score, but he did start. So we didn't have to worry about the snap count factor coming into play. He did see action. So that bet was graded accordingly. And Hitman, as I do some real-time shopping across various books, as you laid out the handicap for under 14 and a half players with a reception, I'm seeing some books with price discrepancies as is very common when we're talking Super Bowl props. One book I'm seeing under 14 at minus 115. Another book I'm seeing 13 and a half. The under is paying out plus 130. I know that these numbers, you know, 14 and a half to 14 to 13 and a half could be the difference between a win, a push or a loss. So every half player matters in this sense. But any sense on your end as to the pricing ramifications, if we're talking minus 180 on under 14 and a half. How does that stack up to minus 115 for under 14 or plus 130 for under 13 and a half? Yeah, you know, the half is just so valuable in these in these type of bets. Um, the 13 and a half, I'm pretty sure I know which two books you're talking about. I did pass on those. I did bet a 14 minus 110 at a book that I had some more liquidity at. So I did I think 14 minus 115 is good. And yeah, the 14 and a half, there's still minus 160 out there right now. I know for sure. And I was playing the 180s, 185s. So that that was my price range on that. All right. I'm uh, going to see small limit at the book. I'm talking was under 14 minus 115, but I will just uh, take the limits that they'll give me and go ahead and lock that in. Um, all right, and then Hitman, there are a few bets I'd like to run by you that play in the same vein of props that haven't been offered all year, but with the broader attack surface for the Super Bowl may offer some value when we're talking this specific matchup. Three to run by you, I guess, in the, the road less traveled type of philosophy. First up, if we're going down the San Francisco wide receiver depth chart, I'm considering Jawan Jennings under one and a half receptions, widely available in the range of minus 135 to minus 145. and for this one, hat tip to Ed Fang and his Power Rank newsletter. He was citing Connor Allen of four for four and noting that Jennings has gone over this total in seven out of 15 games this season. But the context is key. Week three against the Giants, Jennings had two catches, but Brandon Ayuk didn't play. Week seven against Minnesota, Jennings had five catches. There was no Debo in that matchup. And week 15 against Arizona, Jennings had two catches. The second one came in garbage time from Sam Darnold. So all in all, Jennings went over one and a half receptions just twice all season when Samuel and Ayuk were healthy for the full game. 
One of those two instances was the aforementioned Arizona game where he caught his second pass from Sam Darnold. So Hitman, can you nudge us on or off of this one? Any value in Jennings under one and a half receptions in that range of minus 135 to minus 145? Yeah, good news and bad news. I did bet Jennings at the opener. It, it moved pretty. It moved like within like a day of being out. Um, I did bet Jennings under one and a half, minus one ten, one fifteen, one twenty ish, and I also played under sixteen and a half and under fifteen and a half receiving yards. Um, at the current line, I, I think I would need minus one twenty five though to keep playing it. Um, it's pretty. Out right now, I'm seeing 140, 145, 135. It's just a little bit out of my price range at this point. And and the yards was kind of 16 and a half, 15 and a half was my price range on him. So um, I love the handicap, but it just goes back to what I was saying earlier that lines have been more sensitive than ever this year. And that was a line that it was 13 days before the game when that line kind of got destroyed from 110, 115 to, to where it is now. And there's been no buyback. So I'll sit around patiently. I hope that there is buyback from someone and then I could, I could get more down and I'll be happy. But yeah, at this point, I think it's a good handicap, but it's just a little bit out of my price range. All right. So for now, I will put a pin in that one and keep it on the shopping list for a target price of minus 125 or better if we do see some buyback. Hitman, the second one I want to run by you. This is a touchdown score prop, but with a twist that I think is unique to the Super Bowl. Which player will score a touchdown first, Travis Kelsey or George Kittle? Quite possibly a push here. Neither of them may end up scoring, but Kelsey is minus 145 at a pretty well-known offshore book I'm eyeing right now. And for this one, I'll give a hat tip to Frank B on the Gambling with an Edge podcast previewing this year's Super Bowl. An edge here could lie in the fact that this number may be overestimating Kittle's odds of scoring in particular. Kittle did have seven touchdowns in 18 games this season, but three of them came in one game. And this prop appears to be getting priced as if Kittle's odds of scoring are seven in 18. Again, seven touchdowns in 18 games. That's 38.9 percentage. Or... If we look at the true probability, Kittle really only scored in five different games. So five out of 18 would actually be 27.8%. Hitman, with a prop like this, any inclination uh, nudging us on or off of playing Kelsey to score a touchdown before Kittle in the range of minus 145? Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to price off the top of my head. I will say, though, just referring to like touchdown market, and it's not something that I typically pay much attention to during the year because I'm just... I'm so busy managing accounts, doing every, everything I'm doing, surveying typically over under markets, everything that a lot of times I just don't pay as much attention anytime touchdowns as I could just because it's such a, it's, it's such a juiced market that it's going to be hard to find value. I know that there is value a lot of times, but it's just a lot of work to find it. Um, I will say though, with anytime touchdowns and specifically involving Travis Kelsey, probably going to be interested in a no touchdown at some point on Sunday would be my guess. I think that we're going to get some pretty appealing numbers. I know that Circa right now is even dealing a minus 105 on no Kelsey touchdown. Um, that would be bettable for me, but I'm not going to bet it yet because I think I might even get better at a lot of these, at a lot of these square places. It feels like Travis Kelsey to score a touchdown and the liability that might come in at some places on any time touchdown for him is going to get high enough that we might get some value on the nose. So 
I don't have an opinion on that prop that you mentioned just because it's hard for me to price off the top of my head. But involving Kelsey, I would be surprised if I didn't have a Kelsey no touchdown by game time. And I would be surprised if I wasn't getting plus money on it. All right. I heard, I think it was the Establish the Run podcast that dropped just a couple hours before we went live mentioning something similar. And when I heard that Circo was offering minus 105, my first thought is, man, we might get plus money on it this weekend. And if that's the case, I'll be right there with you. So nothing bettable at this point on Kelsey in the touchdown market, but some good food for thought in the days to come for everybody catching this conversation. Hit me on one more angle I'd like to run by you. I know you tend to do much more in player props, but this is a potentially relevant game prop angle since sacks have become known to be much more of a quarterback stat in recent years. And I'm looking at a couple angles to possibly get in play on Patrick Mahomes' elusiveness. So one of two props, first up, Kansas City being the first team to record a sack. I'm seeing this at several offshore books in the range of minus 165 to minus 180. I know that's a lot of big to lay, but Mahomes, if I'm not mistaken, has already gone two out of three playoff games this season without getting sacked. And that's similar to what he's done in postseasons past. And I think for much of his career, frankly, whether it's the playoffs or not. And if that's too much big to lay for that specific prop, another one that's going to require some juice, but San Francisco under two and a half sacks. So not the full game sack total, but the Niners specifically under two and a half sacks, multiple offshores in the range of minus 185 to minus 190. Hitman, any value in either of these bets? I know they're game props, but kind of trying to get an angle on pro Patrick Mahomes being elusive in or out of the pocket. Yeah, not not much of not much of an opinion. I will say that like the first sack stuff, it seems like it has more variance to it, to be honest, on just timing when the sack happens and everything. And if you are gonna have a prop that has variance like that, probably would rather be getting plus money prices on something that you think has variance compared to laying that type of juice. So I do think that if you did have an angle with the with San Francisco going under their sacks with their defensive line being pretty disappointing in this postseason and Mahomes not taking sacks, I would personally probably be more inclined to um, to look at the under two and a half sacks. Now, it's funny, Matt. So I do have under two and a half sacks on San Francisco, but ask me how this is possible. And this just goes to line chopping the Super Bowl. There's a certain paperhead out there, uh, which Paperhead is a, a local book for people that don't know, o- offshore local book. You have an agent that gives it to you. There's like 15, 20 different um, skins, it's called, for Paperhead sites, which is different odd sets and everything. It's still out there right now. I'll let everybody look for it, see if they can find it. You could get under two and a half sacks plus 155 on San Francisco. <laughs> and I did bet that. I didn't get much money down on it because it's a, it's a skin that I don't have as much liquidity and a, a lot of people I know don't have as much liquidity, but it is out there. And like my point in saying that was just to tell everybody, like shop this stuff around. Like you just keep shopping. If you have a lot of outs and you have a lot of different odd sets, you're going to find stuff like that, which is just absolutely great prices. You can choose to scalp something like that. Or you could just let the plus EV position ride, which is typically what I do. Uh, especially on stuff that I'm only getting $500 down on or some, something like that. But yeah, it just goes to show to how important line shopping truly is. I think that might be the best takeaway to come from this conversation, regardless of the outcome of any one pick being a winner or a loser. 
that mindset reminds me of a conversation I had last week on this show, a crossover episode with Chicken Dinner and its host, Sam Panayadovich. And we were talking about price sensitivity, line shopping, and I had the realization that some of the best bets I've ever made weren't bets that I knew what I wanted to wager on. And I just opened up an account or two and checked the odds to fire away. But just taking time to log into every account, expand the menus. Yes, it's a grind. Yes, a lot of times you might not find anything worthwhile. But if you know there's one book that's maybe a source of truth in a certain market, and you can find another book that's just hanging a totally rogue number, maybe there's a risk of frying an account. I mean, if you're betting big plus money on the Niners under two and a half sacks, that might be the last time that you can bet a real sizable amount at a book like that. But shopping around, especially with as many options as we're getting on Super Bowl prop menus, it often doesn't take much of a handicap. It just takes knowing, okay, which books tend to be a little bit sharper and letting the other books do the work for you when it comes to trying to spot the sucker. Yeah, um, I actually just went on a site now. It's actually moved to minus 115 on this specific skin, but it's still good at minus 115. And the the paperhead skin that it is, it's uh, it's named after, I Googled the best way to describe it. It's named after a fictional city appearing in American comic books published by DC Comics. So if people know <laughs> what that paperhead skin is, then uh, that that would be the one that I found that on. All Batman right, well, think, think Batman movies, everybody. That city. <laughs> all right, there we go. So before we spill the beans too much further, as far as that prop goes, we do have some audience questions that I'd love to weave in at this stage. Hitman, it sounds like uh, Kelvin Williamson, a big follower of yours over the years, has thrown out a few good questions. And it sounds like with halftime specifically, He's intrigued to hear if there is anything that you're eyeing. And if there is, I think we'd all love to hear it. Even if there's nothing right now, maybe more broadly, how do you approach Super Bowl halftime betting markets, knowing that sometimes maybe you've got to read the fine print. It's something that won't be in a box score. So you want to leave yourself some recourse. Just overall, what's your process for looking at the Super Bowl halftime market? And by chance, is there anything that you consider actionable yeah, for this so, year's halftime show? So I don't know if he's referencing like halftime props, such as like the, the halftime show for example. Okay. And I'll be honest, I have heard some stuff with the halftime show, but I'm just not willing to give that out publicly right now because I am waiting, mm -hmm. hoping for more places to put up odds on that stuff. So that I can't give much help to. If he's referencing halftime props, because I do do a show, um, I, I retweet on my Twitter. It was every Thursday I did it this year where I would give out uh, a halftime player prop. Okay. And that's some of the places probably like, it. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the places like FanDuel, DraftKings, Caesars, some of uh, uh, some other paperheads, they they offer that and did great on them. I mean, I I, I do the forward progress show with, with uh, Rob Pizzola every Wednesday, mm -hmm. and I had the worst season imaginable on like best bets. And then this halftime show that I do, it's obviously a much different market halftime player props, but it was the complete opposite. I must have went something like 18 and two. So there's there's definitely an edge to be had in these. But um yeah I would say you know it's a longer halftime obviously so if you are going to be betting halftime props like that um I, I could see maybe some public money tends to 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 move some of the, the guys up a little bit at halftime just because there's more people than ever that are going to be betting on this market, especially during a, a long halftime. So I would just say, yeah, during the halftime props, the halftime player props and everything, just monitor the market. 
and see if maybe some guys, some public guys get bet up or something, or I could see, I could see a scenario where like, let's say Kansas city's down 14, 17 points. I could see like Mahomes passing yardage coming out for the second half on the live props. And I could see it one opening high, but I could see it being bet up to just a crazy amount because everyone at bet Kansas city is going to be saying, I'll bet on Mahomes over. He's going to, he always comes back in these situations. So I, I would just say with the halftime stuff, especially the long halftime, just just monitor the lines and see if there's any overreactions possibly. And one more question from Kelvin. This might be something that I would throw out to a guy like Rufus Peabody who models everything from a game state standpoint. But Hitman, any inclination you're on on your end when it comes to potential value and yes to there being a tie after 0-0 laying minus 120. Yeah, I haven't even thought about it. So if, if I bet something like that, typically it's just going to be either somebody smarter than me tells me it's a good bet and I get down on it, or it's me finding a, a line discrepancy and I figure out who has the right price on it. But it's not something I've thought about. All right. One more audience question for now. Dan Rivera also asking basically volume of offerings compared to last year, more about the same or fewer prop offerings. I'll be surprised if anytime soon, the answer would be fewer offerings year over yeah. year. I feel like if anything, it's only going up, maybe staying relatively flat Hitman, I know the value hasn't been there as early in this year's betting cycle, but how would you describe the volume of offerings this year compared to the same time last year? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It, it's always going to be more typically and especially because it helps that the Super Bowl was in Vegas because a lot of Vegas books are really willing to take a bet on these props so whereas like during the regular season they're not as willing to take bets on props so um having it in Vegas has helped offerings for for me getting getting down there and um and yeah, and the FanDuel's and the DraftKings and all them, they just continue to add more stuff every single year. So yeah, the offerings are more, and I mean, there's, like I said, there's still plenty of value to be had, but just the, the difference from like years past is like years past the service, maybe give something out and the line just slowly moves a little bit. And you could maybe, you could find some smaller books that haven't moved as fast everything it feels like in the year 2024 like something gets given out something gets posted on twitter it's just gone at most places pretty instantly so that's been the real difference i've i've come to find one more question i'll throw your way when it comes to the way props are being offered this year but first off we'll weave in another audience question from kelvin he says one last cue for hitman Will knowledge on the halftime show be released on your service? And it, man, either way, I appreciate how modest you've been on this show. You've never come in looking to promote your service very hard, but I think that this is worth noting, if nothing else, so that people can consider for a bigger peek behind the curtain that that service is no. something that could be well worth considering. But when it comes to halftime this year, is that something you put on a service or is that just too tough no. because there's not enough liquidity yeah. in the market? No, one, there's not enough liquidity. And two, something like that. I rely on people to give me information and people that I share information throughout the year. And that's just something that you don't want publicly out there. I mean, there's no better, there's no better example than the national anthem a few years ago when the one uh, guy posts 
the recording of it and it becomes public and then every offshore is is deleting is deleting your bets saying that it's public knowledge and now the market i mean there used to be a time where i got five figures down on the national anthem market for sure and then there's people that have gotten more down on it than me yearly and now it's dead to the point that i think last year i maybe got like $1500 down on the national anthem and this year to be honest i'll expect less on it so stuff like that you just you just can't publicly talk give that stuff out it, it's just the way that that the market is fair enough and hitman one more question i'll throw out from the audience that has just come in and i'll take a stab at answering it first this one from rick did you play a shortest touchdown under one and a half yards this is um, one that has been my bread and butter over the years. With a total like this, uh, the juice I'm seeing, it, it just doesn't project to be a high enough scoring game for me. I love the notion of more points, voting well for the prospects with more touchdowns, which gives us more bites at the apple for a one-yard touchdown. So it's a pass for me right now. I think if I were to see it, I, I don't expect this. But if I were to see it in the range of minus 140 or better, then maybe. But, but I think minus 160 is about the consensus now, and I don't expect that to budge too much further. Any thoughts on your end, Hitman, on the prop for the shortest touchdown under one and a half yards? Yeah, you know, th there's actually a row. Like, it's like a smaller shop out, out there. There's actually a row uh, under one and a half minus 130. That's where I would go to. I would bet that under. Uh, it's going to be hard to find. And to be honest, um, I'd probably move the number already at that place. I bet it like two hours ago. I haven't looked at the updated odds. But um, yeah, that, that would kind of be my price range. But the shortest touchdown stuff, it was a market that I was heavy into for five, six years or something, especially on, on a lot of offshores and paperheads. I just didn't think that it was priced right typically. But it's recently started to get priced correctly to where it hasn't been a market that I've even paid much attention to. Um, if you could find shortest touchdown under one and a half, like minus 130, that I'd, I'd play it, but I can't go any higher than that. Like I remember there was a time where I was playing like shortest touchdown under one and a half minus 115 and games that were lined in the low fifties or something. And mm -hmm. like all good things, uh, they have to come to an end at some point. And that's just a market that it's kind of gotten away and places are pricing that market a lot better. Yeah, you're giving me flashbacks to what I never thought I would think of as the good old days of 2020, when at least during that NFL season, one silver lining to the whole pandemic dynamic with no fans in the stands, I feel like efficiency was through the roof, even for opposing offenses and goal-to-go situations. And oftentimes games would be lined in the mid to high 50s. And you could see that in the range of minus 115 to minus 125. So always something worth shopping for, but these days just probably not as much of an edge to be had. Hitman, in a forward-looking sense, I'd also love to go rapid fire on a few props that I don't think are bettable yet, but might settle into a much more bettable range between now and kickoff. Last week, I threw out five of them on this show. No overtime, no safety, no kick to hit the upright, no defensive or special teams touchdown, and yes, to a team to score three straight times. Now, quick disclaimer here, the value in these bets all depends on the price, and you can check out last week's episode for more on the price points and the rationale. But the overarching theme here for me is that these bets are the type of bets that require some intestinal fortitude, laying some heavy lumber. But based on true probabilities, I don't think we're often laying enough lumber come 
the 24 hours leading up to kickoff, if not the 24 minutes leading up to kickoff. And to expand on one of these bets, I actually haven't bet it before, but it came to my attention last year when we did have a doink courtesy of Harrison Butker. I'm eyeing no kick to hit an upright, especially closely with a target price of minus 600. If and when we see that number, we're probably going to be, again, within 24 hours of kickoff. I am encouraged to already be seeing it as low as minus 700 offshore. And I'd probably play that right now if I knew I couldn't get better odds. I think the public is going to be pretty heavy on the yes, though, for a few reasons. First off, there's that classic lottery mentality, wanting to risk a little to win a lot. Second, doinks are just fun. A lot of people like to root for chaos, and and that can add to the entertainment value of a game. So why not align that with the betting portfolio? And number three, as I touched on, this happened last year, so there could be some recency bias in play. This is an outlier type of event, but when we see it, we might be skewed to think it's more likely to occur than it actually is. Maybe I'm reading too much into this hitman, but one subtle edge I also see for the no in this specific matchup, the elevation for this year's Super Bowl in Vegas, about twice the elevation of any previous Super Bowl, thinner air helping the ball travel farther, all else equal, I think these kickers will be a bit less inclined to possibly compromise accuracy for distance. So all in all, target price of minus 600, that equates to a break-even percentage of 85.7. I think the true probability of cashing this bet is closer to 90%, if not higher. I will encourage everybody to read the fine print. Some books say any kick. Some books say just a field goal. So make sure you know whether this includes a point-after attempt as well. Some books stipulate it being a missed kick. Or you might want to know if it matters, does the kick have to be good or no good in order to qualify for this bet? Also, is it just an upright? Is the crossbar in play? So as with all prop bets, do yourself a favor by doing some due diligence. But Hitman, all in all with this prop, largely speaking, without any of the technicalities, no kick to hit an upright, minus 600. Any thoughts on your end as far as potential value there? Endorsed, and I did think about betting i think it was like minus 700 i was gonna bet it somewhere last it was like it was at some shop that i had to drive to to get down and i was gonna bet it there at like minus 700 and i ended up i ended up getting like sidetracked while i was at the place and i ended up betting a bunch of other stuff i forgot to bet that but that was on my list of uh bets i would make so i wouldn't be surprised if i ended up with something like that in the minus 700 range, or even if it got better. All right, you and me both. So we'll sit tight on that one. And then another prop question that just came up, man, this gives me flashbacks to the good days of betting the first kickoff nut to be a touchback and cashing pretty consistently. But MBTC Miner asking for thoughts on the opening kickoff touchback, yes or no. Given the fair catch rules, some discussion on whether a fair catch is an official touchback in the rulebook and how books will interpret the prop. I think in general with Super Bowl props, I try to steer clear of ambiguity if the house rules don't lay things out very clearly. The last thing I want to do is spend the minutes after the opening kickoff of the Super Bowl trying to find out how my bet will be graded or possibly dispute with a book. So if there's any ambiguity there, I'm probably going to be hands off. But Hitman, you are much more well-versed in the prop betting market. So how much thought have you put into that wrinkle and the opening kickoff touchback prop? Yeah, I'm almost positive that fair catch would be an official touchback. So, um, yeah, I'd be pretty surprised if that wasn't the case. And um, I debated taking some no touchback three to one, just because if Jake, when Jake Moody kicks off, he only has a touchback percentage, I believe, at like 64% or something like that. So, obviously, there's a potential Kansas City does uh, end up returning the kick. And then on the San Francisco side, their kick returner could be Debo Samuel. 
And so if it goes into the end zone, possibility Debo Samuel's willing to take it out as electrifying of a playmaker as he is. So, and then you obviously have the stuff with the Super Bowl ball is a little bit different for the opening kickoff. That's been an angle in years past. So I considered a three to one, but it hasn't made my card yet. All right. Well, if we focus on what have made your card or bets that are in the sites to make the card, a quick rapid fire rundown of what we can dub the props and hops Super Bowl 58 portfolio hitman on under 14 and a half players with a reception good up to minus 180. And as an equivalent bet, if you're seeing under 14 players with a reception for minus 115 or better, that is playable as well. On the shopping list, Jawan Jennings under one and a half receptions. If this gets bought back down to minus 125 or better, Travis Kelsey not to score a touchdown. That is currently available at minus 105, and that shows some value. But knowing how the public is going to bet this one, we're in no rush. Let's wait and maybe catch some plus money on Kelsey not to find the end zone. And then no kick to hit an upright. Probably bettable at minus 700, but I think if we wait a bit, we may well see that target price of minus 600 come into play. And then one more that I threw out last week, under 10 and a half accepted penalties. I broke it down on the most recent show of props and hops. So listen to that one for the full handicap. It has moved a bit, but I am still seeing some minus 130 out there. And I do still like it at that price. I guess, Hitman, any quick thoughts on your end, if you've even considered under 10 and a half penalties in this year's matchup? <laughs> You're going to hate me, but I bet under 11 and a half. That was at- No uh, bigger. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was at Canby Books. Uh, they opened it at 11 and a half and I bet that, and I, I don't hate the 10 and a half either. I was surprised to see 10 and a half open up in flash. It reduced big yeah. to the under. I'm not sure. How I also bet under five and a half for each. I also bet under five and a half for each individual team. But that, that was like in the minus like 115, 120-ish range. I think I got. All right. Well, Hitman, I, I think that you're going to steer me toward the hop here because I'm going to need to just drown my sorrows, not getting nearly as good of numbers as you've gotten. But that should be no surprise, knowing how savvy you are in all of this. Let's get into our hop segment and really think beyond drinking this week, but food overall environment for Super Sunday. What plans do you have or what would you consider ideal when it comes to the Super Bowl game day viewing experience? Uh, I'm going to work my ass off from the morning until kickoff because it's the last day of football. So it's, it's, I'm going to work a lot. And then, uh, once six 30 comes, uh, I don't drink during games, but I will drink during the Super Bowl. And, um, with a long halftime, I'll have one of my, uh, betting partners that's likely going to be with me that helps me that we originate some uh halftime props and everything together so i'll probably be with him and uh we'll, we'll take advantage of the long halftime and then i'll have a few more cocktails for the second half and then the hard part comes and the hard part is grading 80 freaking props and then the even harder part is communicating with the 30, 40 people I had to deal with or whatever and on Monday morning, figuring out figures, figuring out figures with certain books. It's it's Monday is going to be a long day probably, but it's the last uh, day of the season. So it's, it's okay. Well, Hitman, if I didn't know that you had a nice bet on under 11 and a half accepted penalties or the Niners under two and a half sacks at plus money, I'd be pretty close to feeling sorry for you, but I have a feeling that the accounting might be a pretty nice exercise 
when it comes to the ROI on your Super Bowl portfolio. And when it comes to drinking during the game as kind of an exception to the norm, I think that's a perfect transition to this week's Molinsky Minute as a nod to the late, great David Molinsky, because Dave was the same way. I remember the last Super Bowl that he was alive. It was that Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl. I had recently been to Portland and took some beers home with me from that trip, and I had mailed some out to Dave. And he sent me a text as the game was kicking off. The only text was game on, and there was a photo of a can from Great Notion Brewing in Portland, and that was a sign that Dave was cutting it loose during an NFL game for the one time a year that he would allow himself to do so. And after Super Sunday comes and goes, it's going to be time for life after football. So when I think of Dave being as well-rounded as it gets, I also know that you have plenty of interests outside of all this. So I guess if we can box out golf, I know that's a big passion of yours, but Hitman, other than golf, what would you say you're most looking forward to this NFL offseason? A lot of traveling, a lot of traveling with my wife. So that'll be fun. A lot of uh, hanging out with friends. Like there's a lot of friends I have that like, I don't see them for six months during a year of the year, just because I'm working so much. So that's good. The vacations and, um, yeah, you know, I'm still working. Obviously, I'm still working during the six months that football is off, but I'm not doing any originating. I'm more of just I'm betting news. I'm uh, help. I'm talking to other people that they're originating. Just it's a lot less work for me. So um, yeah, just enjoying it. And then, like you said, the the, the uh, get better at golf. My goal is to be a single digit handicap by uh, the end of the summer. I, I got down to a twelve by uh, August. So probably need to shave off like two, 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 three more strokes to, to get to that single digit. So that'll be my uh, off season goal. All right. Well, I'll have to put a pin in that thought for a potential follow-up to see how you've been progressing <laughs> when it comes to an early season conversation we can hopefully have when next season rolls around. In the meantime, I'd like to make a quick ask of everybody who's checking out this episode. If you've enjoyed this conversation or any of these episodes all season long on YouTube and on Twitter, if you could like this video, that would be greatly appreciated. Also on YouTube, if you could subscribe to the Props and Hops channel. On Twitter, you can follow the show at Props and Hops Pod and myself at Lay of the Landis. That's L-A-N-D-E-S. For those of you in podcast form, if you could take five seconds to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be greatly appreciated. And if you could follow the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, even better. Now, Hitman and the audience, if you'll all humor me for just a moment here, I usually don't have much to plug, but with this being Super Bowl week, I also want to note that if you've enjoyed this conversation, three other pieces of content to consider. One, I'm also hosting a new weekly sports betting podcast called Prime Suspects, where I get to connect with Joe Brennan Jr. and Adam Bjorn to share an insider's look behind the counter at Prime Sportsbook, which is a sharp new sportsbook that welcomes all bettors, now live in Ohio, also coming soon to New Jersey. So Hitman, that will be a nice addition to your arsenal, I'm sure. And when I'm connecting with Joe and Adam, we also discuss topics that are relevant across the entire sports gambling space. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And then this week, a couple of additional items. I'll be appearing on the Harris Football Podcast, which is an award-winning podcast hosted by ESPN veteran Christopher Harris. I'm fortunate to know him as a friend, and he's been a multiple-time guest on this show. So I'm excited to go on his show and preview the Super Bowl from a betting perspective. That episode will be recorded tomorrow night, probably dropping on Thursday morning. And then I'll also be appearing on Unabated's Superstream 58, alongside a star-studded cast of bettors, 
many of whom, frankly, are far sharper and or more entertaining than I'm ever going to be. So I'd encourage you to tune into that as a favor for yourself, if not for me. I'm just honored to be in some very esteemed company. That's going to be a stream that Unabated puts live on Saturday evening. Selfishly, I'm also looking forward to using insight from other guests to round out my own personal Super Bowl betting portfolio. I know there's a lot that I've thrown out here. So as a one-stop shop, again, you can follow on Twitter at Lay of the Landis. And now we'll get around to wrapping up this episode, getting ready to call it a season. Three thank yous I want to throw out there first. Hitman, to you and the guests all season long for being so generous with your time and insight. And to you, the audience, for tuning in, commenting during live shows, downloading the podcast, engaging on Twitter, wherever and however you've been listening. It's an honor to be part of your week whenever you do have a chance to tune in. And last but not least, to my wife for the time, space, and support to make this show the best I can make it. Frankly, there have been too many late nights over the last five plus months where she's asked me to be done so we can hang out and spend some quality time together. And starting next week and for the next few weeks after that, Allison, I am done. That's going to take us to a quick programming note on the off-season plan for this show. A first in Props and Hops history, I'm going to take a break. The first episode of this show went live in August of 2020. And since then, at least one new episode has been published every week. I think it's time to practice what I've been preaching for a couple years now about there being a time to grind and a time to unwind. And I've just come to feel that the post-Super Bowl window is probably as good a time as any to do the latter. So I am planning to be back in mid-March. There's going to be March Madness, an annual MLB season preview with my good friend Connor Riley, NFL draft previews to do, plenty to get to. I think we're going to pick up right where we're leaving off, but first a few weeks to recharge and plan to come back better for it. And on that note, we're all better for Hitman's presence here and across the sports betting content space. Once again, you can find his work on Forward Progress and at pregame.com. Follow him on Twitter at Hitman428. Hitman, from week one to the Super Bowl, thank you so much for bookending the season with me right here on Props and Hops. Thanks, Matt. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. And to those of you watching and listening one last time, thank you for your time this week and all season long. I hope that you too have a chance to decompress and enjoy everything else life has to offer in the coming weeks. Come mid-March, look forward to getting back at it and reconnecting with you. In the meantime, best of luck with your bets and enjoy Super Bowl Sunday.